What is up? What is going on, everybody? We are getting ready to head out east. We're not going for a funeral. We're just going to talk about the film Garden State. You can join us on the other side of the song. Welcome back to another episode of the Threequel. As always, I am one of your this week two co-hosts, Ethan Klein. Here with me, my red-bearded brethren, Mike Duranic. Mike, how are you doing? Well, Ethan, I uh, I'm a, I'm a little nervous. I realized because this is, I think, the first film that I've picked that neither you nor Brad had ever seen before. Um, I, I picked other ones that Brad hadn't seen before, but, but you had, but, uh, I'm, I'm curious to, to get your takes on it. Obviously Brad bailed on us. Uh, he was, he was too blown away by the movie. Yeah. Uh, just couldn't handle it. Couldn't put, uh, his thoughts together, even in coherent sentences when I spoke to him last. So, um, we'll, we'll let him recuperate from the, uh, the experience. I'm trying to think this has gotta be the first movie that I hadn't seen. Yeah, well, you are you're pretty good at having seen almost everything, and so uh, yeah, for that reason, I was surprised when when you had said that you hadn't uh, seen it when you reminded me of that, and um, so yeah, I I'm glad that I was at least able to introduce you to something new, and uh, very interested to hear uh, what you think about it. Yeah, uh, well, let's hop right into it. Uh, we all I always start the podcast by asking the same question, um, so. I will ask Mike this question first, and uh, well, Mike, you're the only one that really can answer this question this week. Uh, but how did you first come to see our film, your choice for the month of July, Garden State? Uh, where, where were you at? What was that experience like? And then what thoughts did you bring into uh, this rewatch here for this week's episode of the prequel? So, you know, this movie was released uh, July 28th, 2004. I did not see it in theaters and, and I cannot tell you whether I saw it. I think it had to have been the fall, but it might have been early spring. So either late fall 2004, it might have been wintertime, early spring 2005. But I saw it. Uh, I was in college at the time and I saw it at the Indiana Memorial Union. Uh, they would routinely screen films for free. You could get in for free if you just had your student ID. And so I saw a number of films uh, through the first you know, couple of years, particularly that I was in college there, because you're in college, you're broke. And to see fairly new movies uh, for free just by flashing your student ID, uh, not a bad deal. And so that was the first time uh, that I saw it. Yeah. So uh, for me, obviously, this being the first time that I've seen it, I guess my knowledge of the film was simply this, that I am not uh, really a fan of scrubs. I've seen a handful of episodes of it. Uh, I know that it has a large, large following. I don't know where you're at with that particular show. Um, yeah. So I, I'm a huge scrubs fan. Okay. But I hadn't seen a single episode of scrubs before I saw this. Okay. And so yeah. this this movie predated Scrubs for me with Zach Braff. In fact, I didn't start picking up on Scrubs until I think it was in season five when I had a friend okay. who had the first couple of seasons on DVD and said, you should really watch this. Um, and it was probably the first television show I ever um, binge watched, quite frankly, back late college when I just started plowing through seasons of it on DVD. Gotcha. Okay. So, yeah, for me, it was simply all I've ever associated this movie is that it is the movie that Zach Braff directed. I knew that. Obviously, I knew that Natalie Portman was in it. And really, when it comes down to it, if there was going to be a consistent reason why for all these years I haven't watched this film, it was probably her. We've, we mentioned this back with V for Vendetta, right? My, my kind of overall opinion of Natalie Portman. But that would probably be the biggest determining factor in the many times that I've had an opportunity to watch this and I passed on it uh, was kind of my uh, tumultuous relationship with Natalie Portman and her films. But, you know, we did obviously watch it for the show here this week and we will get into uh, 
well, we will get into how I feel about her because she is certainly a huge part of the film. So uh, our next thing that, that we've been doing uh, is thesis statement. You know, I, I bring a lot of times a pretty hyperbolic statement to the podcast and we kind of have a conversation uh, about where that goes. Uh, just to put you on the spot, curious, you know, this is one, this is a movie you've championed for quite a long time. Um, is this, I, don't, I, I guess I'm curious, is this like a top 10 movie for you? Is this something... Yeah, I'm going to have to really, I'm going to have to reflect on this quite a bit. And here's what was really interesting for me. So, you know, as I mentioned, I watched it when I was in college. It had been out for a a while. Uh, I didn't know of Zach Braff at all. Uh, Hadn't ever heard of him. So I didn't go into this knowing anything about him. Um, What I knew of Natalie Portman was basically that she had been in a couple of the Star Wars movies. And uh, at that point, I think the first two were out. The third of the prequels wasn't out. Um, so while I didn't have Anakin, you're breaking my heart, I had plenty of other opportunities to not be super impressed uh, with her to that point. Um, this was interesting because it's the first time I had watched it in many years. And, you know, understandably, and, and you know, quite frankly, if you, you jump 17 years, I'm in a very different place in life than I was back then. Um so is this a top 10 movie for me? I would really like to sit down and go back through my top 10 movies. I will say that, uh, as I'll, I'll, I'll share with you guys, uh, when we look at the movies we've rewatched, it ranks strong for me on the movies we've rewatched thus far. But there are a number of movies that I really love that we haven't rewatched thus far that would probably bump it down the list. Okay, that's fair. So for me, here's where I'm going to go with the thesis statement this week. This was the thought that I had while I was watching this, and I'll kind of weave this back in as, as we talk about the film as a whole. I think this genre of film is the easiest movie to make while simultaneously being the easiest movie to completely fuck up. Mm, I like that. And I'm allowed to say that because this is an R-rated film. So there you go. They, state for this podcast. You, you, heard, you heard you heard that naughty word more than once. Yes, in, but, in the first ten minutes of the film. Yes, but I I I, I want to say it that way to to get my point across in that and and it, it, we'll we'll get into how I feel about this movie as we go on. And I'm not necessarily saying that Zach Braff uh, messes this up. In fact, I, I think the opposite. Um, but I think just in general maybe a reason why I did not grab this film out of this genre is because it is so simple to write a story about boy meets girl. One of the two or both of them are going through some things. You can say some inspiring lines to each other. You can fight. You can, you know, it's just so easy to get this movie made. I mean, turn on Netflix right now. Well, particularly, particularly in this day and age, right? Because yes. of Netflix, it's so easy. Um, you know, I don't know that it's easy to get films like this made and into cinema. I don't know that it's ever been particularly easy to get films like this made and into cinema. I think that most of them, particularly in this era, went that did get there, they got into the theater, I should say, went the path that this did, which is it went to the festivals and, and, and if it was going to swim, it got picked up and, and this got picked up by Fox Searchlight. Right. Um, yeah, I think that you're probably right. And it's probably the easiest, um, if I can jump on your thesis statement here, because well, really, I mean, he even said, Zach Braff said in many of the interviews that the the large themes of this movie were the themes of his life that he was living as he was trying to make something of himself as an actor and was miserable doing it in the early part of his career. And if I, I've got this right, I think Scrubs, you know, which was certainly his first and, and biggest break. Um, broke and came out in, in late 2001. I think it launched that television, the 0102 television season. Um, so you go forward a couple of years. Here's when this movie debuts. But really, that means I mean, he was writing it right in the in the lurch there. And so where I think that these films are fairly easy to write, it's because hasn't everybody been at a point in their life where they were down on their luck a little bit, where they were miserable, where they were uncertain about the next step. That does make it an incredibly easy movie to write uh, and probably get made because it is very relatable in that sense. 
That said, when you're trying to take everybody's common experience and put it onto the big screen, it is incredibly easy to mess that up because it's very easy to make it super personal to you, perhaps, but in a way that doesn't play with other people and can't transfer to other people. And therefore, it doesn't become a commentary. It becomes just annoying, for lack of a, of a better term. It, it can quickly become a story that like you're telling with a group of friends and then someone kind of walks in and you're just like, well, you had to be there. Trust me, this is funny. Mm-hmm. But you had to be there or something like that. And like, you know, I mean, you look at, you know, on the threequel here, we have trashed bad boys. They had to work really, really hard to make that movie as bad as it was. <laughs> like, it, it's it's not always easy to make an action movie just unwatchable right right like because you have so many other things going on like i rewatched when uh, i think it was the week that we did the rock you know i was just in that kind of 90s zone i rewatched under siege Mm. Uh, you know gary Busey on screen is a it's a mystery that can't i don't know if we can ever solve how that happened so consistently uh, and why am I blanking on his name? Steven Seagal. Yeah, Seagal. Exactly. Quite possibly the worst actor to have ever been on screen. I mean, he, you know, Jean-Claude Van Damme could have won five Academy Awards before Steven Seagal got a Golden Globe, right? Like, not talented. But you have so many other things going on. I enjoyed my hour and a half rewatching that film. A movie like this you can't hide the bad right in this genre. If it's bad, if you've messed it up, it is there. You, you know, you can't be like, well, at least this part was cool. Cause this is literally all you've got. So the second you go off the rails in a movie like this, it's trash and you can't save it. Well, and so- I think that that's what makes your thesis statement particularly strong here is exactly what you said. You can watch a bad action flick or a bad superhero flick or even a bad comedy and have redeeming factors that make it so that it's not the most painful hour and a half or two hours of your life. When you get down to a film that inevitably these films are often made in a very personable way or personal way, particularly those that that are made intentionally like this was, uh, it either is going to sink or it's going to swim and there's not really an in-between. And by the nature of this type of film, you're laying a lot bare and so it's either going to work or it's not going to work. Um, and you're going to find out pretty quickly um, which of those it's going to be. So I will share with you, you know, I, I think um, the one thing that, I, that I'll say for this. So this is the only movie that we have rewatched thus far that my wife has sat down, watched with me and stayed awake all the way through. Impressive. She had she had never seen this one uh, all the way through either. I think she had seen bits and pieces. Um, and kind of jumping off of your thesis statement of how this is the easiest to, to make also the easiest to to royally screw up, right? Um, She said that throughout it, she said she liked it. She thought it was a good film. She obviously stayed engaged with it. And throughout the entire film, she just felt incredibly uncomfortable. Yes. And I wonder, you know, what, what your thoughts are about that. And particularly, I think that what this film, at least for me and seemingly for her, did well, is it made you feel like you were there in that room, so to speak, with the characters. And I think some of the tension in some of those moments poured out, at least it did to her. Yeah, so I guess, you know, as we kind of just keep talking about some more overall things that I felt about the movie, her describing it that way is not how I was about to describe it, but it is better than how I was about that. That is absolutely true. There's an uncomfortable nature to this, but... When I think back on my experience with this movie, if I tell people about my experience with this movie, what it what I will say is that there is something different. And when it comes to this genre that is just flooded, like I said, turn on Netflix, watch what happens. You'll spend more time looking for a movie than you will watching one. Give me something a little bit different. And I think for me, if I'm just looking for a movie to watch on a random Tuesday night, it's real easy for me to click on a superhero movie or an action movie, even if I haven't seen it, because I know at the end of the day, the worst that I'm going to get 
is probably still entertaining. Even if it's bad, it'll still be entertaining. Absolutely. When you get into things like this, and especially comedies for me, I get so like afraid to pull the trigger on hitting play on a movie like that because I know at that, like those ones, again, just like tying back into the thesis statement, if it's bad, I will have wasted two hours and gotten, gotten nothing from it. Well, and I think for this one, right, like this is, uh, there's two different types of, at least two different types of comedies, right? This is not the just go for it, knee slapper comedy. No. There, there is, there are comedic moments in this paired with what is meant to be, uh, you know, again, we'll get into what your impression of it was, but what's meant to be deep thinking drama that, that kind of probes this portion of this person's life. And so you're not going to just be able like a bad comedy. It, you can put it in and just be like, well, there might be some funny moments in it, but I'm not going to have to think hard. It, a movie like this does it well. It makes you, you think hard. A movie like this doesn't do it well. And you're like, I feel like I should be thinking more about this stuff than I am, but they're just missing the boat with me. It's not connecting with me. And, you know, as she was talking about just that discomfort, she felt multiple times for the movie. She's like, I just feel, I feel just, awkward i feel i yes. you know it was hard for her to describe and i was like well do you not want to watch it she's like no i'm enjoying it I, this is just how i'm feeling and i think it was putting that angst that the character was trying to portray and she was picking up on it what i really appreciated about this movie was the the risk that they did take in the comedy that ended up for me feeling like it felt like a moment that would be comedic between friends mm -hmm. that someone from the outside would be uncomfortable with, but it's just, you know, and, and kind of a theme through the movie, right? Like we're family almost. So this is funny to us. Mm -hmm. You know, this is something, maybe this is one of those moments that you had to be there and maybe other people won't find it funny, but it's a, it's a story that I have told and retold because I think it kind of encapsulates uh, a part of my friendships growing up. We, uh, I'll try to tell a short version of it, but we're in high school, a new kid moves in to school. Uh, people are asking him, you know, trying to get to know him. And uh, he, you know, someone said something about his dad. He talked about his mom. Someone said something about his dad. You know, he, he ended up, you know, he told us that his dad passed away years earlier and it made him feel uncomfortable because so many people, you know, didn't have that experience, could not relate to anything, you know, so many people that he knew their parents were married and everything was fine. Mm -hmm. And my friend being my friend just kind of goes around the room and he goes, you have nothing to worry about here. This kid's parents are divorced. That kid's parents are divorced. That kid's parents have been divorced more times than everybody else in the County. I'm a bastard. He's adopted. He's never met his dad. And it was the funniest thing I had ever heard anyone say at the time. And all of us that he talked about thought it was the funniest. And that kid that he thought it was funny. Because we were just talking about the reality of a situation and how you may think you're different, but you're not. And we're going to take the bad and make it good. But everybody outside of that situation, when you looked around that room, was mortified that that got said out loud. Like, you shouldn't be talking about this. This is not okay. But because you're not a part of this situation, you don't understand what we're trying to do. And that's mm -hmm. what I felt in this movie. There was so much comedy that is there because these people are living real life in situations that if you're not a part of it you're not going to feel comfortable it's going to look awkward and i appreciated that they went for that yep absolutely so let's let's dive into uh some of the other aspects of this uh, as we we normally do uh, yeah absolutely. what what, jump, what jumped out to you and and where do you want to, to head in this exploration uh well, let, I mean, let's go through the actors and actresses. Um, for me, you know, we kind of touched on Zach Braff. I mean, if you look through his filmography, it's really hard to talk about much. I mean, it's 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 weird that he led Scrubs for so long. He did something so early in his career where he was directing and starring in a film like this. Well, not and, only that, but he also, I mean, he wrote the thing, right? So I right. Mean, he, he did the trifecta, which it's not unheard of, but it's fairly rare, especially at the age he did it. Right. And then the rest of his, he just, you know, clearly, I guess he was happy with what he did. You know, he had a dream to make a piece of art. He did it with this. He was in scrubs for as long as he was. He has popped up in things from time to time. 
but he has never really chased after, you know, being a star. Yeah, definitely uh, and, not. In and, fact, and, almost the opposite, right? Like, yeah. you know, I, I think the, the biggest money grab he probably did was when he played the, um, oh gosh, was it the, uh, the, the, the monkey in Oz? Yeah. The great and powerful. Right. Right. Which did not play well. So there are two movies that uh, I won't ever make you watch <laughs> if they come up on your list because they okay. won't. I was surprised this one even did. But two that I have seen with him of his that I did enjoy as well. Um, uh, not as much as this one. 2006, The Last Kiss. Um, I, I think okay. it yep. is not a, not a bad one. Um, and then 2014's Wish I Was Here, which the interesting thing about that one is that he uh, kickstarted the funding for all of that. And okay. he had written it and had a vision for what he wanted to do and went to the studios and the studios said, uh, sure, we'll we'll pay for it. But you've got to cast these people instead of these people. you got to cut these parts out. you got to do this. And he went to his agent. And his agent was like, I mean, I guess you really don't have a choice unless you want to fund it yourself. And so he started a Kickstarter campaign and raised a couple million dollars from fans to do the movie the way he wanted to do it. That that is very interesting. So yeah, it is. It's just kind of strange to see a guy so early in his career kind of be where he was and then choose not to go after more. But you know, more power to him. If he was happy with where he was at, that's where he was. Um, the the one that really stood out to me of everyone was Peter Scars Peter Sarsgaard. Mm-hmm. Um, as his friend playing for what I knew. I didn't know he was in this and I was shocked to see him in this. I was waiting for some kind of twist where, you know, I don't know that he was actually just this horrendous person um, because this, you know, being just the friend in this movie for what I know of him was against type. I mean, I, I know of him as the bad guy in a lot of different movies. Um, you know, he's going to be in the newest Batman film. Uh, as they're labeling the character, I was looking on here. I knew it was kind of something, but it's District Attorney District Attorney Gil Colson. I've heard rumor that that's kind of wink, wink. We don't want to say that he's Harvey Dent, but probably going to end up being Two Face. Which again, that you know, he has made a career out of being creepy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so to see him have a little more heart in this, uh, be a different kind of yes, he's doing some shady things, but. Oh he's not a villain and to see that that extra gear i enjoyed yeah i mean i think uh that's that's one of the things that i enjoyed about this movie is that um there's not necessarily a villain in any of it there are a bunch of people who are incredibly flawed human beings maybe doing the best they can with what they got and um you know his character uh mark is probably the best example of this there's a lot of stuff he does that makes you feel very uncomfortable it's hard to watch the scene of him uh, grave robbing and not feel uncomfortable, right? There's, it's hard to watch him in the party scenes and not feel uncomfortable. He does come across as creepy in this, but then every time you're waiting for the hook, the hook never comes because no, this is just who he is. He's not ill willed. He's just a guy, right? A guy who, you know, hasn't seen a friend for nine years and opens up his house to him and says, let's spend three days together. Right. So I thought, yeah, he uh, he de- definitely stood out to me a- as well. I enjoyed Ian Holm, um, you know, uh, rest in peace. I believe he passed away last year, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? Yes, I do. He was another one I did not know he was going to be in this. The only thing that I ever associate him with is uh, that poster that we <laughs> Bilbo, reference quite often. Bilbo Baggins, right? Yes. Uh, from the Lord of the Rings films, but um, yes, he passed away uh, almost a almost a year ago. It was late June of 2020. Yeah, uh, and and my my uh, wife tells me that um, oh, who was it here? Um, I'm looking for the name and I'm not finding it. Uh, and Dowd has also most recently been in uh, something pretty big, but uh, I, it is escaping me now. And she was a bit role in this, but. Um, Let's see if I can find it here. This is something that my wife said that I should say. This is great listening for y'all. It's the power of editing. That's right. For as far as they know. There you go. I'm ready. So she uh, she was has been in The Handmaid's Tale, 
okay. um, since 2017, and, and Jenny pointed that out. And so uh, a lot of solid bit actors throughout this. Um, people kind of, again, faces that, you know, you, you see them and you're like, I may not know who that actor, at least for me, I may not know who they are, but I know them. I've seen them in many other things. Yes, agreed. So uh, do we, well, you know, Brad has often suggested that we do not uh, do the women justice in this. Uh, but do, do we want to talk again about Natalie Portman as we did a couple months ago? Well, as we did a couple months ago, um, man, so as we talked about her, what really jumped out at me as I was getting really ready to defend her for, you know, her role in V, v for Vendetta, which I enjoyed her in, uh, and certainly I enjoyed her in this as well. But then as I look at her filmography, what I'm taken by is this. I think that, and I mentioned this the last time, right? I have a very positive impression of Natalie Portman based off of a few films that I think that she does a really good job in. And the rest of the list of the films she's in are really rather unimpressive. Now, as you mentioned at that time, and we won't rehash the whole discussion from V for Vendetta, but I think it will be interesting to see uh, what she does in the new Thor movie and where that goes. Um, but I think where I sit with Natalie Portman at this point is uh, she is a talented actress, in my opinion. I think that she has a lot of ability, but I think at this point she probably is overrated compared to what she has actually delivered on the whole of her career. That may change as she ages and as she continues to expand and explore different things. It's actually pretty crazy. She got nominated for an Oscar. Her first nomination was this same year. Uh, for a film closer mm -hmm. and I so I watched the preview for Garden State a couple weeks ago just because again I, I I mean I was completely blind heading into this and I don't know if you remember the previews for this or if you watched it all leading up to this nope. uh, the the opening of the preview or pretty early on uh, is their first encounter and this coming out in 2004 it was okay to have what she says in a trailer but that's basically a, almost the first line you hear in the whole trailer about the about the quarterback right yes. him playing the quarterback and that is by far the part of this movie that aged the worst yeah. that scene you talk about awkward that was the one where i felt uncomfortable yeah. simply because i was like yeah there's no way that plays at all today nor should it play at all today no. But for goodness sakes, back then it did, right? I mean... Oh, yeah. It's the same thing we talked about with There's Something About Mary. Uh-huh. And it was... So watching... Having just watched that and the conversation we had about that film and then watching this trailer, <laughs> at first, I'm like, oh, dear God, what did Mike get us into? <laughs> I and had then, forgotten about that interaction. And when it played, I was like, oh, dear God, what did I get us into? Is there then, more of this that I had forgotten? The second thing I thought was, oh, dear God, she is a bad actress. Just that clip in that trailer. Because not only it, not even it, she could have said anything. If she said it the way that she did in that scene, it was oh, yeah. horrifying. Well, the, the, and, the way that she plays the first number of interactions with him, she looks like a terrible actress. Yes. I just, I know that I come off as an asshole and it's fine. And we're just going to go with it. I think to the credit of someone who had a story to tell and Zach Braff, I know this is sounding like to the credit of the man, he fixed the woman. That's not what I'm saying. There was a story that was being told here. And as all of the characters in the movie progress through the story that they are trying to tell, I think the movie gets better. I think the story gets better. I think that at the beginning of this movie, the things that your wife was saying about the awkwardness and the uncomfortableness, it's hard to embrace that when you have nothing to go on with any of these characters. Yeah. And I mean, quite honestly, if the first time I had seen this, Ethan was like channel surfing and I was just like, I've never heard of this. I don't know that I would have made it through the first 20, 30 minutes of the movie. Yes. I obviously, I was watching it in a, in a movie theater type environment where I wasn't going to get up and walk out. I was committed to it. And that's probably the only reason I saw it through. And I, I can tell you, as I reflect back to that first time watching it, I was unimpressed until by the end, I was like, wow, I'm pretty impressed. Yes. And, and that is what I, that, that is the credit that I will give her 
with the material given and kind of working through it, this movie is about people working through their issues. And you see that in her awkward interactions, in their awkward interactions. And as it moves on, understanding more about these people, I don't think it necessarily justifies how horrifically she delivers that line and a few of the lines at the beginning of the film. But there's a growth that happens throughout it as the story is getting told. Um, it, it did not make this, you know, unwatchable for me when her character is on screen, much like the first two Thor movies are when her character is on screen. Yeah. Changes in the well, upcoming film. And, and as you mentioned, right, like uh, I think writing does have so much to do with it. Uh, certainly there are actors and actresses who are so good that they can take a bad script and, and make it work in ways that others can't. But for the majority, I, a lot of it comes down to script selection. We've had that conversation so many times on this podcast. Um, I, I guess I've always given credit to the fact that perhaps she was playing it that bad because she was in truly trying to play the character awkwardly lying and trying to not be her authentic self. And yep. I think for any of us, when we're faking it, when we're being a false version of who we are, uh, we don't come off the right way, right? If we're not being truly who we are and, and unquestionably, as you see her character develop, you come to realize that the character you see through the first number of interactions that she's playing is not who the character is. It's a very false shielded version Um you know, a false version that she's putting out there to protect herself from uh, the, the real her, the real life. Yeah, uh, I completely agree. So uh, let's keep it rolling. Uh, Mike, do you want to play a game? Yeah, and, and either I'm going to win or I'm going to lose. But one thing's for sure, Brad's not winning this week. That is true. And uh, it, knowing that Brad uh, would not be here with us, I did not look up the Rotten Tomato score this week of the oh, film. So, so I am going I get, to play with I you. get to go against you. Well, yes. So it should be interesting, especially since you hadn't seen it before. Yeah. So we'll do it this way. I will let you pick if you would rather go first and set the benchmark or allow me to go first and try to snake. Uh, oh, that's how tough. You do it. That's tough. Um, I would like to have you go first because I don't okay. want my impression to I want to just hear your what you think the critics are at with this and then I'll go from there. Okay. So for me. Oh gosh. So when I do my letterbox on this, it is probably going to be a three out of five for me. It is where I end up with this film. What I'm trying to factor into account is that if a movie that came up through the festivals was able to still get as much of a theater push as this got. And I remember it getting, it had to be pretty well reviewed, probably more well reviewed than I did myself, even though I enjoyed it. So I'm going to say 85 because I think when we look at it, I feel like the critics probably pushed this one pretty hard. Man, so you took it literally from my mouth. If you, if I had gone first, 85 was exactly where I was going to go. Okay. So now the question is, which way to snake you? Um, I'm going to allow my heart to take me up, and I will go to 86, and that's where I will settle. But you picked the number I wanted. Well, if this podcast has taught us anything, it's that you should always follow your heart, as Mike just did. Because, as I am just now looking for the first time, the tomato meter score for Garden State is 86%. That is, that's uh, higher than I feel like, except like you said, it was probably well rated. What's the, what's the fan score? 88. Wow. So pretty, pretty close. Well, and so this is how, and we don't always do this, but the, the little consensus thing that they give, I think, you know, is well put. Delivering a quirky spin on a familiar trope. Mm-hmm um is is how that consensus thing starts and it's like i said give me something a little bit different and it does and i think what this too shows is that this movie i bet if i looked at it there's not many reviews you know there is not thousands of reviews because it is a movie that got missed by the the audience at large but what it has is very positive reviews because the people that took the time to see it saw it for whatever reason, whether it be someone suggesting it or they liked Scrubs or they liked Natalie Portman, you know, you're allowed to have that opinion as well. And 
you enjoyed what you saw regard if you're uncomfortable or whatever because even jenny said i'm uncomfortable but i like jenny i you know remember this is not them saying this is an 86 out of 100 this is 86 out of 100 people saying yes this is a good movie and i can see how if you put 100 people in a room that want to take the time to watch it that many of them would come out with a positive feeling about the film i understand that completely yeah, I suppose when you put it that way, that makes a lot of sense. It surprises me that it's that high. 85 was where I was going to go, um, basically because of what you said. It came up through the festivals, and I don't recall it getting as big of a push because I hadn't heard of it before I went to go see it. But just knowing how it was picked up and, you know, I also, what led me that way, I uh, I am a fan of Scrubs, and so I have listened to the, the Fake Doctors Real Friends podcast that, Zach Braff and Donald Faison do where they are recapping each of the Scrubs episodes. Um, and I, I've heard Zach Braff talk about the making of this a number of times. And uh, so I kind of erred on the side of going up there. But uh, yeah, it's solidly rated. Well, that is a victory for you and one that I'm sure Brad will hold in contention since he did not get the opportunity to beat you himself. And, and I failed him in that front. Brad, I apologize uh, for whenever you do listen to this let's keep it moving uh let's move on to favorite line favorite scene um let's do favorite scene first uh because i feel like maybe favorite line has, has some more uh, solid impact here so I'll, I'll kick us off with favorite scene i mean you know that first interaction with them talking about the quarterback that's got to be up there <laughs> Um, definitely if we had a category for most horrific scene it would be the runaway winner out of this that that might be is that the worst aged single scene that we've had it just doesn't stop because she keeps on saying it and so like you know I don't think because it's not used as a weapon to the degree yeah, of like the true. scene in the cab in, in old school, it yes. doesn't hit in such an offensive way, but it, it, because it keeps coming back, it just grates on you. So yeah. I think kind of, yes, it's probably it's, the worst scene out of all of them. I mean, setting maybe. aside the fact that all of bad boys was offensive. Um, That's just but, offensive to people who have taste. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, no, it, uh, there's no doubt that uh, in, in my mind, yeah, it probably is. All right, fair enough. Uh, so my actual pick is not that. Um, look, this may seem basic, but I think there's a reason that someone like Zach Braff championed this scene as, you know, the poster of the film. And, you know, this is kind of, this is, this image is something that I knew, even though I had never seen a trailer for this or the movie itself. But them da- being at the quarry and just kind of screaming at the top of their lungs. Um, something that, you know, if you've never done it, maybe this sounds weird, but being able to just kind of let go for a second, sometimes life just catches up to all of us and you feel like you're just going to lose it. And whatever that is, if it's screaming at the top of your lungs, if it's playing a sport, if it's exercising, whatever it is, but the opportunity to just completely unleash because you just need to, you just need to let loose a lot of steam or whatever is built up inside of you. Um, And that scene I thought was going to be cheesy, but because of the effort and the heart that they put into this movie, it was not for me. So just them at the quarry kind of, kind of letting it all go. Uh, was my favorite scene. Well, and to that, I'll, I mean, it's a great scene. I think that the entire discussion, uh, you know, there with the guy who is the guardian of the quarry, um, you know, that that scene actually really starts to move the movie forward because I think that the guy, and, and I may get the line wrong, it's not my favorite line, but him talking about like, look, I'm here with my wife and my kid. What more do I need? Yep. Really starts to, to nudge things forward for Braff's character, for uh, Andrew Largeman. Uh, what I think also makes that scene particularly potent is a, a great use of a great Simon and Garfunkel song and, um, you know, the only living boy in New York. But more broadly, um, at the time that this came out, and one thing that aged extremely well for me in this movie was how well the soundtrack overlays the different moments 
and the music just fits well. This soundtrack was a huge uh, seller when this movie came out, got a lot of play. And one of the things that through Scrubs, if you ever do watch Scrubs, uh, Zach Braff was one of the lead people for picking most of the music for a lot of those episodes. And the problem is if you watch it on streaming now, you'll get it all jacked up because they don't have the streaming rights for the songs. So now when I rewatch Scrubs, it totally throws me off because they've got the wrong songs there. Um, but he has a, he's got a gift for picking really good songs that fit the moment of both television and movie. Well, yeah. So, okay. His favorite scene. It, it's really hard for me uh, to, to narrow down a, a single scene here. If I had to do it, I, I would cheat as I often do here. Um, but you know, uh, Brad's not on here. And uh, so maybe one of these would have been his favorite scene. Um, and I'm going to go with the transition from the scene between um, Sam and Largeman in the bathtub as they are talking about, uh, you know, his memory of his mother and reflecting on that and reflecting on his, his real, yes, he recalls that. And that's what love is, right? Just your sleeve and wiping off your kid's nose or your hand and wiping off your kid's nose because that's what you do as a parent. Um and then that leading into the scene finally between he and his father, Ian Holm, uh, in the bedroom. And, uh, you know, I think that scene in particular, as he is finally kind of all this journey is going and he is he is coming to grips with this is my life. Right. Uh, he stands there and he, he tells his dad, uh, I'm not taking the medication anymore. I'm done feeling numb. Right. Uh, and when his dad again throws the accident in his face and he says, you want me to, you know, forgive myself, you know, here you go. I was a kid and someone made a shitty latch and just lays that out there. And then finally kind of does the, you know, I want it to be okay with you for us to feel, even if it's pain, because that will be better than trying to pretend than trying to fake, than trying to not live and experience life. And for me, I think that that's why this movie, there's really two reasons this movie's resonated as we move towards favorite lines. It's obviously got a lot of, in my opinion, quotable lines. Um, but the two reasons that it, it really resonates with me, one is, right, this is a, a, tale, a tale as old as time in the sense that it's a coming of age story. Uh, the ending of this movie could not be more stolen from the ending of The Graduate if it tried. Yeah. Uh, right? We're going to do this. So what do we do? And we just kind of stare at each other, much like Dustin Hoffman riding off on the back of that bus and they're smiling and they're smiling. And then it just washes over them with like the, Oh shit, this is real. Yep. We just did this. That's what the ending of this is. It's a coming of age story, but probably more importantly, because there's a million coming of age stories. What upon rewatch stuck out for me with this is, uh, and it really is encapsulated in that scene so many people try to run from pain in life and from hurt in life. They try to, uh, you know, either medicate it up or, you know, put their perfect life on social media, uh, on Facebook, wherever they try to live a life that is wholly unrealistic because they're not okay with the discomfort, with the pain, uh, with the angst. And the through line of this movie for me was, uh, especially upon rewatch, that's life and you can either learn to embrace it and learn to glory in it and have those moments where as you said you're standing on the ledge screaming into the abyss and just letting it all out and then moving on or you can try to hide from it um but if you do it's going to bite you in the ass yeah i uh couldn't have said that better that's a great way to encapsulate this movie as we kind of transition into favorite line for me it was tough. It was down to two. And one of them is kind of a lot of what you just said. And so on the chance that it's yours, I'm, I am going to go the other direction. Yeah. Uh, but if it's, if it's not, we can talk about it too. But I think what I'm going to go with uh, is uh, Natalie Portman's character saying, if you can't laugh at yourself, life is going to seem a whole lot longer than you'd like. And just because when I heard that, uh, it's just one of those moments of being able to connect with a movie. I have said for years, um, one of my greatest abilities is the ability to laugh at myself um, and, and not in a, in a cocky or overconfident way, 
just in a realistic way of I do have the ability to notice when I've messed up and when it is funny. And if it brings a group of people humor, then it's worth it to me. Um, Taking yourself seriously, so seriously that you can't take a joke is a pretty horrific way to walk through life. Um, So when she said that, it was just kind of a moment of like, yep, been saying that for a long time. (laughs) So uh, that to me was my favorite line. Yeah, it's a, it's a great one. And uh, certainly, um, I, I completely agree. I think you, you have to find the humor in the tough things in life. And if you don't, uh, life is a lot longer, and you're going to be a lot more miserable. Um, so again, in the spirit of cheating, I want to give a shout out to the, the line that probably um, makes me laugh the most. And it's when he is on the scooter for the first time and gets pulled over. And just the look of shock on his face as he realizes that it's Kenny. <laughs> this, and, you know, you're a cop, Kenny? Yeah. Why? And he's like, ah, you know, I don't know. Just seemed like a good idea. Yeah. The last time I saw you, you were doing coke lines off a urinal. And the guy's, ah, la, 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 la. We don't talk about that. Yeah. Uh, and again, it's just that coming of age of like, we yeah. all did stupid things when we were younger. And it may not have gone to the extreme of coke lines on a urinal. Certainly, no, no, but- uh, but, uh, you know, it's that moment of like, I can't believe that you're doing what you do. So I, I'll give a, a brief shout out there. And then uh, as far as favorite lines, you know, uh, you kind of I alluded to some of them in the, the discussion, of the favorite scene. Certainly what you were talking about was up there for me. And so I will reflect on yet another part of the movie, uh, which is when they're in the swimming pool. And he just very simply says, you know, you ever realize there's that point in your life where you don't have a home anymore. You just have a place where you put your shit. And maybe that's what we are all doing. Maybe that's what families are, is just searching for that imaginary place. Um, And certainly when I was in college, right, that naturally struck me. But even today, you know, as I sat here rewatching this movie with my wife, with our our kids asleep upstairs and uh, reflecting on this home that we have, it still spoke true in the sense of, you know, home is very personal and it is about um, this idea of us searching for something that we have. And then, you know, at some points we lose and then it comes back. And and so that scene and then that line in particular, uh, again, spoke to me uh, upon rewatch. Yeah. That, that line meant a lot to me too. Just kind of the notion of get where I'm at, you know, I am in my mid 20, literally my mid twenties, you know, I just turned 26 a month ago and I'm kind of having this, this moment now where I'm really reconnecting with a lot of my friends from high school because we've kind of all gone through our college thing. We've gone through that kind of post-college, what are we going to do? And uh, some of a, a group of us have settled back kind of in this home area. And no matter what, whenever we're together, inevitably, something gets brought up of, remember this, remember that time. And it's just kind of, it, like he said, it's a group of people that miss the same imagination. But not that we're like, oh, we wish we were in high school. So, But you just have that ability to go. And to me, that there is that family element to your friendships. Like you've, you know, known each other for 20 years that, I mean, that's family. If that's not family, I don't know what is living life together for 20 years and knowing everything about each other and being able to share that's family to me always has been. So uh, that line meant a lot as well. Um, Let's wrap it up. There are three movie categories here that we talk about on the threequel. Uh, That is case of beer you know, completely off the rails, uh, just, just going, going the direction that it goes. And sometimes you just need a case of beer to get through the movie. Could still be entertaining. Could be bad boys. You never know. Uh, mixed drink, a little bit of both, a little off the rails, some serious, maybe a great performance that grounds it, you know, whatever, whatever that is. And then stiff drink, very serious movie through and through. Uh, nothing unintentionally funny, uh, no real mistakes to be had. And for me, this movie and, and I mean this in as big of a compliment as I can. This movie has to be mixed drink for me because just in terms of the categories, it is a very, there's a serious story that they're trying to tell. But like Jenny pointed out and like we've talked about, there's a lot of this movie that is awkward. There's a lot of this movie that is tough to deal with because of the subject matter because of what he's going through, but just some of the ways that they handle interactions, it is just a little weird. But why I want to give this a mixed drink and just kind of the line I was alluding to is once again, Natalie Portman, you know, I'm giving, I see, I am giving credit to Natalie Portman. She has great moments in this movie and her saying, you know, I know it hurts. That's life. 
If nothing else, it's life. It's real. Sometimes it hurts, but it's sort of all we have. And life is the mixed drink category, <laughs> right? You know, it, it, it goes in both directions. So I have to give this movie the mixed drink category because I think it's trying to say that very thing about its subject matter. Yeah, you make a really compelling argument there. And uh, so I was kind of leaning towards the, the stiff drink knowing that I would probably assuredly have been alone in this, uh, even if Brad was on there. And the reason I was going to lean stiff drink and I will ultimately stick with it um, is more probably about how I take in movies than it is about the movie itself. Because for me, this movie hit on such a number of philosophical um, just, you know, meaning of life type topics in a way that resonated with me. And um, certainly I, I, well, I mean, as I mentioned, Ethan, I went into this rewatch thinking, okay, so will this still hold up for me 17 years after I watched it when almost unquestionably, you know, the window from like 18 to about 25, 26 is probably the wheelhouse for people watching this movie and actually thinking about it. Cause somewhere in there, it's going to hit you uh, in that way. Right. Um, and it ended up doing it, but in a different way than it had the last time. And so I'm leaning towards that and going to ultimately settle on stiff drink for that because it is a serious, it's a movie that I, I, it resonates with me and gets me thinking. Um, but you make a great, uh, a great case for the mixed drink. Yeah. I do not argue with anything that you said. So that was our conversation about garden state uh, a little little different from a lot of the movies we have done here on the three cool but we like to we like to change it up we like to do some different things we're wrapping up the month of july next month you get a fifth episode this month uh and this one i uh, convinced the guys to kind of make this a, a group pick and i don't know mike have you seen next week's movie yet before watching it for the show i have not mike has not well i will say it is my pick it is my favorite romantic comedy of all time. I know there's a lot of classics. I understand that. This does not have the age to it, but this is my favorite. It is uh, Crazy Stupid Love. Steve Carell, Ryan Gosling, Emma Stone, uh, Julianne Moore, fantastic cast. Kevin Bacon. You know, we're going back to the Footloose days here. Kevin Bacon popping up in this thing. Uh, it is my favorite romantic comedy, hands down. I think it's got a little bit of everything that we love to talk about on this show. You know, it's got the comedy, it's got the heart, uh, it's got definitely something that ages incredibly poorly, uh, even though this movie is only a decade old. But we'll get into all of that. Uh, we'll have our full conversation. That's next week. Crazy Stupid Love. Check that movie out if you haven't seen it. If you have, rewatch it. Come back and join us next Thursday on the threequel. But this week was Garden State and a choice that uh, I am glad that Mike brought up and gave me the opportunity to watch. And I hope next week I return the favor to him. Thank you to everyone for supporting the show. Remember to check us out. We will be back all three of us next Tuesday on, of course I'm right. And then again, all three of us one week from today on the three quote with crazy, stupid love. Other than that guys for Mike and for Brad, even though he's not here, I'm Ethan. We'll see you next time.